Welcome to Advent Sermons and Conversations podcast. Today's sermon was given by Pastor Margate Whitlock on Sunday, November 18th, 2018. You can find the readings for this week in the podcast description. So it's August of 2018. I am with the Synod delegation in Bukoba, Tanzania. We're there to see with our own eyes the ministry our companionship diocese is doing in the Northwestern Diocese, and especially to visit Kabeta English Medium Primary School, or KEMPS for short, and then to attend two conferences in Moshi. KEMPS is the school for which the Metropolitan New York Synod created an endowment about 19 or 20 years ago, And the interest on this um, million-dollar fund supports Metro New York sponsoring an English-speaking teacher or two. Camps could not have been more hospitable, welcoming us in song, touring us around the campus, providing an excellent program grade by grade or standard by standard, as they call it, and serving us an excellent dinner. The high point for me was visiting with Melanie Nelson, our teacher, whom I had recruited the summer before. I serve on the Synod's uh, Tanzania Companionship Committee. It was a Holy Spirit moment. I was at this 4th of July party, and by way of conversation, I'm saying to somebody I've never met before, oh, and what do you do? And she said, oh, I'm retired, I'm a retired teacher. I looked at her, I said, do you want to go to Tanzania? And her eyes got very wide and she said to me, how did you know? As I said, it was a Holy Spirit moment. Of course, all the application procedures had to be gone through, but uh, Melanie is currently over at Kemp's. We visited many of the other of the diocese's ministries. Extremely moving was the rural women's hospital. Women with newborns, women going into labor, women experiencing complications with their pregnancy. At one time there were three doctors there, but now they're down to one, who at that point had not left the campus in weeks. They would welcome medical folks who might be willing to give some time as well as donations of layettes, caps, blankets, well, everything. Oh yes, and they also need a new pump or a new well or both. They have no running water just at present, only rainwater collected in cisterns. Sunday we go to church a couple of times. Being that today is Stewardship Sunday, I'll mention the offering. Everybody brings their own offerings forward. Some of it is currency, but some of it is produce from the field or whatever they have. And they're dancing it up the aisle. After worship, they gather outside and auction it all off. So when you make your pledge today or your estimate of giving, I know some people prefer that terminology. May your heart dance with gratitude. Monday, we're off to the conferences in Moshi at the foot of Mount Kilimanjaro. 
the Bishops' Conference, and the African Summit. The Bishops' Conference, 24 Tanzanian bishops and their delegations, plus 20 ELCA bishops and theirs. So you can see right away, four dioceses don't have a companion synod because the church is growing so fast they have to keep adding additional dioceses. We're talking about our shared ministry being a two-way street. Shorthand would be the ministry of accompaniment. And think of accompaniment in the musical sense. Both partners listen and follow. Both partners minister and are ministered to. Both partners are Christ to one another. We use words like mutuality, empowerment, inclusivity, vulnerability, sustainability. And what does all this have to do with today's lessons? Well, let's find out if there's any points of comparison. The disciples here always remind me of Little Red Riding Hood. Grandma, what big teeth you have! Jesus, what big stones this temple has! But Jesus says, it's not about the stones. Don't go putting your trust in a building made of stones. One day, in the not too distant future, these stones are going to fall. And if you can read between the lines, which the disciples can't, but we can on account of hindsight being 2020, Jesus will become the new temple, especially for us Gentiles, who never would have been allowed past the courts outside the temple in the first place. In our summit, although they don't use these words, we are encouraged not to set our mind on stones, but on Jesus, which is where we find our unity. You've got to love the disciples, though. They're like little children. Are we there yet? How will we know when? Jesus is really so patient. Okay, he says, I'm not telling you when. So just give it up. But I will tell you the signs to look for. Notice if the people are trying to lead you astray, especially people who are pretending to be me. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be conflict between nations and kingdoms. There will be earthquakes and famines. And P.S., this is only the beginning. At the time Mark is writing, the Romans had not marched in and laid waste to the city of Jerusalem, including burning the temple. I remember that was one of the first words I learned in Latin, the word for lay waste. It was a first conjugation verb, vasto, vastari, vastavi, vastatus, and I thought, why would anyone need such a word in their language? sure didn't come up in my vocabulary on a regular basis. But the Romans needed it. And the Romans needed it to explain what they did to all the places they conquered, like the city of Jerusalem. In our relationship with the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tanzania, we have a word taken from their language that means the exact opposite. And it describes our relationship. 
udugu. It translates into something like brotherhood or fellowship or kinship. We might use the biblical concept of koinonia, community, or partners working together. Mark is writing his gospel in the 60s, just before the Romans conquered Jerusalem. The 60s was a time of famine, social unrest, and so forth, as corroborated by Josephus, a historian of the time. Most people back then would have been thrilled with a Messiah who would ride into town on a big animal, horse, elephant, camel, whatever, and lead the people to a military victory. Some biblical scholars suggest that the false prophets referred to in our gospel lesson are the zealots, specifically, who believed that a military victory over Rome would usher in the new age. Our gospel writer doesn't mention the zealots by name, but we know at least one of Jesus' disciples was a zealot. Whenever you get people together to collaborate, you often get a variety of perspectives about method, even when everyone agrees on an objective. For example, although everyone agrees on partnership in theory, there are still some who feel disenfranchised while others feel used. How to achieve your objective your way short of something like a military coup, which clearly is not Jesus' way of doing it. Another issue we encounter is the different communication styles we bring to the table. So think of the different styles of writing in the Bible. Apocalyptic literature is designed to encourage faithfulness in the present time, usually a time of suffering. Unlike other styles, apocalyptic literature says, suffering comes about because we're living in a world of evil, war, famine, earthquakes. In other kinds of literature, the reasons are different. In prophetic literature, for example, we suffer because we've sinned ourselves. Personally, I think suffering is often a result of human sin, but not necessarily our very own. Oh yes, a good part of it is our own. But sometimes we suffer because we're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we suffer through no fault of our own. I don't know what kind of literature you call that. But apocalyptic literature, our gospel and our lesson from Daniel say it's worse. The faithful are suffering in the face of cosmic evil. Daniel, as I mentioned, also writes about a time of anguish. But Daniel also speaks a promise. God's people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name is written in the book of life. This promise is made to a specific family and their descendants. The family of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So how is it that we who are not part of this family tree get grafted onto this promise? And the answer comes from our reading from the book of Hebrews, the blood of Jesus. 
I know it sounds a bit odd to our modern ears, but many ancient civilizations had this um, idea that to atone for your sins required blood. Jesus' sacrifice is once and for all. That's it, no more animal sacrifice is needed. And so roughly 40 years after the death of Jesus in 70 AD, the Romans march in, lay waste to Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and as a result, no more animal sacrifices. No stone is left unturned, the temple has fallen, and people are saying, oh yeah, remember when Jesus uh, said how this would happen? I want to finish up with a personal experience in Tanzania. One evening, I'm walking back to my room, carrying some cups from the dining room. I trip and fall, the cups break, and I end up with a serious gash in my arm. No broken bones, but one severed artery, one nerve, and three tendons. I bleed all over the sidewalk and my clothing. And the van they used to take me to the hospital when the ambulance doesn't come. Thank goodness this hospital has running water. And praise the Lord, there's an English-speaking doctor on call, and the orthopedic surgeon is back from vacation. As I am being wheeled into surgery, I pray, Lord, it's been a good run. I realize this may be it. If you want me, I'm ready to come to you. But if you want me here, I'm ready for that too. I couldn't believe how calm I was. You know, I've been preaching this good news for 20 years almost now. But you don't know until the actual time comes how you yourself would behave in such circumstance. So I thank the Lord for my faith and my life up to that point and just left it in God's hands. They almost lost me. I lost three pints of blood. In the recovery room, they tell me that I'm going to the VIP wing. Perusi is there at one point, then Bishop McCoy, and everyone's all suited up in all that sterile garb. The whole experience is surreal. It's like something out of the English patient. Outside of my window is a garden. I have a male nurse named January, and teacher Melanie is able to stay with me which was a blessing because she had two intensive weeks of Swahili and can help communicate with people. This is a blessing beyond measure because I am fairly helpless. As I recover, I receive more and more visitors. Someone I went to seminary with now works for a nonprofit whose mission it is to get water, that is wells and pumps, for hospitals in Africa. I get him and Bishop Kisho Mashara together. Now how providential is that? One afternoon I hear singing down the hall as it turns out the Bishop of Namibia is also in the VIP wing. Soon the singers arrive in my room. Half a dozen Tanzanian bishops 
and they are so pastoral to me. They pray for me, and I ask them to sing what they were singing down the hall. Now, you might think they might break into, we're marching in the light of God, but no. It's one of those old chestnuts that I remember from my childhood that they have learned to sing in four-part harmony ever since the Germans planted the church there. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, which we will sing next, so let the people say amen. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at www.adventnyc.org or on social media platforms at AdventNYC or join us for worship every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. in English and 12.30 p.m. in Spanish at 93rd and Broadway.